Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning. Welcome to our weekly Sunrise Project call. I'm happy that you're here. And like every week, I hope that we find a moment of solace and peace as we share and learn from one another in a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a mutual desire to heal our children, our families, and ourselves. I'll open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Today, my husband Keith will share his experience being a black father of our two boys, Kyle and Chris. Keith is a proud Baltimore native. He's a graduate of the University of Maryland and a 30-year veteran in the TV and music business. We actually met at BET in 1999 Uh, We were married in 2001, and we've been together in partnership for the past 20 years. While most of America believes that that most Black fathers are absent from their children's lives, a recent CDC study found that the majority of Black men actually do live with their children, and they're more likely than their white counterparts to bathe, read, talk, and review homework with their children on a daily basis. Keith has done all that and more. And I am delighted to have him with us today. And um, I'm gonna open this by just having Keith share with us his background and um, his journey and how he was brought up in Baltimore. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, This is different for me, so bear with me. Uh, I'll try to be as transparent and um, 
just open as I can as we go through this. Didn't really set a format, but so as, as Kelly mentioned, I am from Baltimore City, where I grew up. I have four brothers and sisters. Um, I was raised um, mostly by, by a single parent, my mother. Uh, my father wasn't, um, wasn't there for the majority of my life after probably about five or six. Where I grew up in Baltimore is, for folks who may be familiar with the show The Wire, the area that I grew up in Baltimore um, is pretty much where they shot The Wire. So just to paint a picture for you for, of my upbringing there. So um, as mentioned, I had four brothers and sisters. I was basically the youngest until seven years later, my younger sister was born, my brothers and sisters. I have two other sisters and an older brother. We're all basically about a year apart. I went to school in Baltimore. After, after high school, went on to University of Maryland where I studied mechanical engineering. My, my thought for, um, for family life has is, is always been, um, as I grew up, we really didn't have much, but um, we really just had each other that we sort of uh, depended on and so forth. And I always thought, due to the fact that my father wasn't really present in my life for most of my uh, formative years, um, my thought for family, marriage, and so forth was always that um, if I ever had kids, that um, I, my goal was to make sure that they had everything that I didn't have. So from a fortunate and blessings standpoint, I was blessed enough to be able to survive that environment, get through uh, college, which my mother would never have been able to pay for, luckily, I was able to um, land a few scholarships, which took care of me. Um, after, after college, I started um, in my field, that, my field of study, which was mechanical engineering and so forth. I started there, but eventually ended up changing over to um, the field of entertainment, which I had done a lot of in my spare time. As Kelly mentioned, starting at BET, almost 30 years ago. Um, we eventually met there and married. And um, from that, our current situation, we have two boys. One is 17 and about to turn 18 in a little more than a month. And our youngest, Christopher, just turned 15 recently. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Our story um, started probably like, like many of yours. Normal, no issues, really smart, talented, athletic kids. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to put them in what we thought was an ideal situation in terms of being in the best school district. Um, we started to do decently well for ourselves so that we were able to provide them a life um, where they didn't have too much to worry about. I often say to my kids that um, they never had to worry about a lot of the things that I did, which was our goal and most most uh, parents' goals is to make sure that their kids don't have to struggle and want for nothing. 
I often tell my kids that there were nights when uh, I was growing up that we had sleep for dinner, which they find funny. But because we were, you know, at a, at a space where financially things were not always straight and we definitely were a week to week sort of family where one week of a missed check could potentially end up in us being homeless. But there were also nights when we didn't have food for dinner and we knew that because because when we went to school in the morning, there was free breakfast and often free lunch that um, that we would eat. So there were often times where my mom would say, well, you know what, let's just go to bed early. You guys get to school, I'll figure it out. And being the person that she was, she always did get it figured out. I'm not really sure how. And looking at how expensive and challenging it is to raise a family, with both parents in the house, both working with decent jobs and it's still a struggle. I can't imagine how she was able to raise the five of us on our on her own, basically, because as I mentioned, my dad was not there. Um, he, he eventually died before I graduated high school. So, but she took care of us the best way she could. And, and we were able to, you know, have what we needed, albeit with some struggle, but you know, we all were successfully able to graduate high school and get to college in some in some capacity. Um, some finished, some did not, but everyone was able to take care of themselves and, um, you know, live a decent life. Our situation with our children started to change probably about three years ago when our oldest entered high school. As mentioned, both are super smart, um, pretty much mostly A's, a little bit of B's type students. Handsome, funny, engaging. But when our son Kyle hit ninth grade and went into um, his care in high school, we started to notice changes in his behaviors and his friend groups and started down this path, which has led to basically the hardest three years of either of our lives. As Many of you, or any of you who have children that, that have had any level of um, issue from ADD to depression or anything um, involving mental illness, as a parent, there comes a, t there comes a time and probably many times where you basically just feel helpless as you're wondering what is it that you could have done differently and how did you end up in this position and why me, all of those things. We've gone through all of those roller coasters to um, having having to uh, have what amounts to an intervention to send our um, firstborn to a wilderness program because our hands were in the air and we had no no other idea for what what to do with him. So from that, he was there for several weeks and came back um, with some initially seeming like that we were going to be on a different path. It was extremely hard, as you can imagine. But slowly things started to, you know, go off the rails and back down a path where not only did they get back to where they were, but they ended up worse. Jump forward, that, that process ended up being followed, you know, within, I don't know, a year, another program, different type, where he was there for a period of time. Um, it's been a 
it's been a series of treatment programs to therapy, to medicine, to anything, um, anything we can do to try to help him out of there. The challenge has been, it has been extremely hard on our family. It's been extremely hard on our relationship. Extremely hard on our, um, our younger son who um, basically idolizes his, his bigger brother. And now just, you know, you can see how he looks at him just totally different and it's painful to even watch. And then, you know, just dealing with various, various episodes of defiance and, you know, um, acting out and, you know, experimentation with, you know, vaping and other, other behaviors that quite frankly terrify us. So his mother constantly struggles, you know, between being just angry and being hurt, being afraid and not knowing what to do. And for me, just feeling like the one thing that I set out to do um, when I thought about family was to be, you know, air quotes, the perfect father I could be, the perfect family person, the perfect husband. And knowing that at a certain point that that's not possible based on a situation and having your life feel just out of control. So, you know, it's even today is a, it's, it's a difficult one because, you know, we're just coming off of another one of our incidents with him recently. And it's a, you know, it's an ongoing struggle. So we just, we look forward to Sundays being able to, to have this call and have this conversation with people of like situations, because I know at a, at a minimum, there are times where we feel like we're, you know, we are by ourselves in this thing and no one knows what we're going through because in the midst of our trying to live our busy lives and, and deal with everything else that comes along with this, it's, knowing that when you get home, there's no guarantee that the night's going to go well. It's no guarantee you're going to get any sleep, you know. Um, is, is he going to, is he going to run out of the house? Is he going to sneak out? Are we going to have to deal with, you know, any type of incident because his moods are swinging back and forth. So it's, it's definitely been a challenge. It's it continues to be a day-to-day -day thing. Um, and for me, the hardest thing is looking at, a person who you know that you would do anything for and have sacrificed and worked your entire life for and seeing them look back at you knowing that no matter what you do, you can't derail them personally from this path that they're on. And knowing that at a certain point, the decisions that they're making, they're gonna have to deal with. And as parents, what you wanna do is try to protect your child from any type of harm. And for me, as, as I mentioned, knowing the lifestyle and the, the background that I come from and, you know, every day leaving for school, stepping over drug dealers, you know, walking past crack dealers and, you know, all sorts of levels of that, you know, urban jungle to get to a space where um, I could escape and say, my, lucky for me, my family, my children will never ever see any of this and then seeing your child reaching in the opposite direction when you've done, you know, everything else that you can do is extremely hard. So, you know, we wake up every day and pray for the strength to get through it, pray, pray for the patience, pray for the ability to let God try to handle this and know that certain things we're able to, um, we're able to change 
certain things we're not, as the serenity prayer says. But um, yes, it's it's a um, it's a challenge, and we are working through this the best that we can. So that's sort of my story. I'm happy to open it up for questions and and conversation, and you know, let's let's see how it goes. Yeah. How did you, I would just say before we do that, the space that you're in, which is such mm-hmm. a different space than I am in, mm-hmm. in terms of accepting that there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. So um, this, is, this is a question, and I'm sure any, any of you that are, that are married with a child that struggles, you, you're going to find there will be times where you are in different spaces mentally. Uh, I'll give you some further perspective for me is, as I mentioned, we grew up with my mom. She passed away in January. And my family is very close. The hard thing about it is, again, as, as I mentioned, we're all very close. And with growing up the way that we did, even, even though we had a struggle, the one thing that I always said that we always had each other, and we were always there for each other. and. We were always happy. I, I, I recall several times when, um, when we, had to cho- we had to choose between whether we had electricity or, or we had heat. So mom would say, okay, I can only pay one of these bills. I'm gonna get it worked out, but we have to decide, do we wanna be cold this week? Or do we wanna, have, do we wanna be able to watch TV and, and cook on this hot plate? So we, we basically, um, you know, we worked out, but I always say we were happy, even though we never really had anything. There were lots of times where there was a, a time when we had, I remember living in a one bedroom place with the four of us, five technically, because my mom was pregnant with my younger sister. And we all had one bed and we sort of just laid in it all, catacorned like a puzzle to fit, you know, people's toes on your, on your head and so forth. But getting to um, the question specifically, um, beginning of this year when my mom passed, I thought was probably the worst thing that could ever happen. I couldn't imagine not having her around. And I, you know, in my mind figured I would never be able to recover from that from a emotional standpoint. And it's still a gigantic hole from that. But after having to get through that and still be able to, to you know, manage life and take care of kids and you know, deal with work, I realized that as much as it feels like, you know, this is never going to get better, it's never going to be anything that you can deal with. After doing that, I realized that there's a strength is there that, that you, you never know until you have to, to, you have to deal with something extremely tragic. So for me, this is a tragedy was happening for both of us, obviously, it's a tragedy was happening with my son. But what I've realized is we have to, at a certain point, let go and let God, as they say, because we have constantly reached out to every time he's about to hit his face on the ground, just before he hits the ground, he gets scooped up. So he's never actually had to fail. And what I say is failure, your failure muscle doesn't get built or your success muscle or whatever you want to call it, never builds until it's fully torn down. So just like when you work out, the reason you get stronger and bigger is because you tear up those muscles and then you build new ones. But if you never get to failure, the muscle never tears and never rebuilds. So one of the things that I've really come to realize 
over the course of this is by us not letting them struggle at all and never really having the hardships. A lot of the things that I try to avoid them having in their lives that I had to deal with are the things that actually made me resilient and made me able to deal with uh, failure and challenge and all that and, and build character. And, and unfortunately, in the way that we've done everything we could to make sure that they never fail and struggle is I think we have in, at the same time handicapped them Mm-hmm. And especially this one, a lot of it has to do with a personality because you can raise two kids in the same environment and they're totally different people. But what I realized is we have to stop saving them. And it's hard as a parent to watch your child fail, knowing that they will fail if, for example, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do your homework, you're going to fail a class. If you start messing with this drug, you can end up addicted and therefore you can end up this person, I've driven them through neighborhoods and shown them homeless people that I went to high school with that were, you know, A students that are now standing on the corner in Baltimore. But I'm basically landed in a space where I'm like, I can't want your life more than you want it. And I can't save you. And it's painful and it's hard. But what I realize is that I'm going to survive and I have to let him actually at some point face the, the consequences of his actions. Now, Kelly, on the other hand, is fierce in her it's it's amazing that her capacity to to um for generosity and and for hope in situations where a lot of my um i I attribute this to my engineering background switches to logic where i'm like you know logically this doesn't make sense and i'm able to now put aside the emotional brain and deal with the logic brain of we're dealing with a child who has some mental illness. He's extremely willful. He's a, basically, he's in a man body, but with child um, decision-making capability. So his, what he needs in a moment is, is so much more important than what the end result is going to be. So us as adults, we can see, if you do this thing, it's going to derail your life. And who knows if you'll ever be able to get back on the rails, but, at the same time, he may hear that in the moment, but in the moment he can't process that. So it's whatever he needs in the moment. So like what? Okay. So like he is he is saying right now that, you know, much to our chagrin that he wants to be a a hip hop artist. And both Kelly and I have been in the entertainment business for, you know, decades. And we know what's the other side of that. We know how many people make it versus who don't and, and all of those things. And that's the last thing we would ever want considering he had so many other options. Um, he, you know, he was on path to be an Olympic level swimmer, for example. And as I mentioned, he's a straight A student. He's, you know, you can model if he wants to, all these things. Um, but to reach to do the thing that only the, you know, most of the urban kids do because it's their only way out is it's hard for us. So for us to, to try to back off and let him try that, knowing that, that there's much higher chance that he won't succeed than will is, is hard. And then even in, in, you know, with that in mind, Kelly was able to connect him with one of her contacts who was extremely powerful in the hip hop industry, knows every hip hopper in Atlanta, runs a studio, has access to everybody. And we thought we would use that as a, as a carrot to get him to do what 
he says he wants. So we said, listen, just do this, finish your work. We'll connect you with her. You'll be able to get in the studio and all that. But even knowing that she's somebody who could tie him in with the top producers and artists was the one thing that he supposedly wants. When in the moment he feels like, oh, I just want to go hang out with a girl or go see my friends, air quote, that we don't approve of, that are, you know, on the same path that he is, he would rather put off the opportunity to do that, which is the thing he says is what he wants to do most with his life. He would rather run and go hang with some girls and hang with his friends and vape and smoke or whatever and play music than to hang out with what amounts to the, you know, like Diddy in, in Atlanta and work on your craft because that's all you want to do and that's why you don't want to do anything else. So it's an example of how just from a standpoint, you can't put it all together. It's like in this moment, here's a person that can make this happen for you, but he can't, you know, he can't see beyond his moment. And then later he comes back, can I still go see Molly? So I don't know if that answered it, but it's sort of roundabout. So um, the only other thing I would like you to share is just, you know, the place where you, you've, you've ended up at the space. I'm trying to get there right. of a, uh, we can't do anything, but mm. we've done everything. Mm. So can you just share a little bit of the different things we've tried over the years and all the therapy and the mm. places and the treatment facilities? Yeah, so I mentioned he's he's been in a wilderness program, which was extremely hard. It was, it was traumatic because we had to have um, what amounts to an intervention, which is you know three football player looking guys who show up at four o'clock in the morning at your house. You wake your child from sleep and they, which is traumatic. And then you basically say, hey, you know, these guys are here, they'll take care of you. And then you walk out of the room and these guys basically grab him with what he has. Don't let you put on sneakers or don't, nothing with shoestrings in it. You can't take anything. He basically went out in slippers. He's allowed to put on a pair of shoes. It looks like you're going to jail. And they put him in a car, drive him away. And the first program, which is wilderness, you don't get to, see your child, you just get letters weekly, once a week. Um, so that was extremely traumatic. He did that and, you know, when we went, we thought it was gonna be, you know, life-changing and we would see him and we'd run into each other's arms and it's all over. That was, um, that was a nightmare, I'm glad it's over. And it was like that for like two days. A honeymoon. A honeymoon period for like two days. But then we, when he got back, slowly started getting back, calling some of the same people um, within a, Within two days, he was stealing his phone out of his mom's purse, and on and on it went. After that, we got back and we went to a um, one-on-one private school trying to get him caught up on the work that he missed. That was extremely expensive. He did that, but while he was there, he, he discovered the music um, production class that was one of the things that kept him there. And he, from there, decided he wanted to, he thought, be a rapper. Now, I'll say this. In the midst of all this, we were going to weekly therapy with him, family therapy, individual therapy. We'd gone through several therapists, DBT, whatever, trying to assess um, what, what it was that was the issue. Um, Dr. Linda McGee, who's been on these calls. It's been uh, amazing. It's been amazing told us early on, she did an assessment, a major assessment of, you know, what she thought. And of course, as parents, you're in denial initially, like, no, really not my child. But it went from that to, you know, 
therapy, therapy, to wilderness, to the individual school, coming out of that, trying to get in, enrolled to another school, jumping out of that school, going back to a different program which she was in for another, what, eight weeks. Um, a therapeutic, therapeutic place. place for another, you know, eight weeks. This one, you're able to talk to him on the phone, even though you couldn't see him. I mean, even though we couldn't um, physically be there, we're able to talk to him on the phone. And there's family programs that you go to, you know, every other Saturday. Every other Saturday and it's a, a trip where you have to get on a plane for us because it's not local. Get on a plane or drive five hours and, and go see him. Lots of stuff that we're flipping our lives around to do came from that. Um, back home, he's still pushing to be back in the same school, which we was, were adamantly against, but he started to be at a space where he was denying going to school, denying going to class. So we eventually, against our better wishes, put him back in the school, which immediately the second, the first day that he was back in, he cut class to go smoke. Um, got suspended from that school for vaping in the bathroom. We ended up trying a third um, program where we sent him, which was extremely expensive and a better program geared more toward learning how to um, transition from being in the um, treatment program and therapy program to being back around people and in, in life where all these things are happening around you. He lasted one week there before he escaped and made his way across the country back home some kind of way, calling some friends and from his previous therapy program, which is disheartening. And then they're back and now we're back in the same situation. So this is a little bit about our our struggle. And, and then from that it becomes the day-to-day -day trying to figure out what's gonna happen, how he's gonna be, and trying to figure out what's the best way to to deal with it. So I think your question was about partially was about how I deal with it. And again getting back to understanding for me that the logical you know part of me and saying that the chasing after and pressing like as much as you want him you want to bring him in when we're pushing him and, and pressuring him to try to do what you need him to do and knowing that he's either incapable or unwilling at this point to do that it ends up being sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy you basically will you know he's stubborn um his personality is he wants what he wants. He's going to run the other direction. And that's what happens. So I've gotten to a space where it's like, I understand now that I can't make him be a better, I can't make him think clearly. I can't make him uh, as, I hate to say this, but the way you think about it, it's like, I just want him to be normal. Like, I just want to be a normal teenager. And we don't know what that is. And our normal is not what everybody else is normal. And that's what I've gotten to. But I also got to, this is not something that he is actually able to fix on his own. Mm -hmm. He's not willing in most cases to, to really engage in the therapy part of it because he's smart enough. As I mentioned, he's extremely smart. He's 3.5. He's extremely smart mm -hmm. and he um, knows therapy. So he knows what to do and what to say and, and enough to just get through the moment. And if the therapy session is 40, 50 minutes at 49 minutes he stops talking because okay it's time to go so knowing that at a certain point we have to let him fail i've just landed a space where i know the only way for him to to really understand that there are consequences to every action is we have to let him fail so i'm i've gotten to a point where i'm like i have to let him fail i have to let him go 
and he'll be 18 in a, you know, a little more than a month. And at that point, he's going to have to be to, to manage and take care of his life on his own. And if he never knows what it looks like to, to make a decision or take an action or an inaction and see that the other side of it has repercussions that no one's going to be there to save him. Because his, his favorite thing to say to his mothers, especially, is, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's, it's just chill. It's going to be fine. Why are, you, why are you so stressed out? Why are you so worried about whether, um, how does this affect you? Which is amazing. But he's like, why, why does it bother you if I, you know, not passing, not doing well, not setting up in a future where I'm going to be successful? And it's hard as a parent to hear that and know that we as adults know what's on the other side of this thing. He's the person that, that's in a tunnel and he sees a light. All he sees is a light. I always say, sometimes if you're in the tunnel and you see a light, it's actually a train and you need to get off the tracks. We see the train, he sees the light. Great, thank you. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With that, uh, if anyone wants to share a, a story or share your experience or have a comment. Hi. So I have a daughter that's 33 years old. When she was in the high school, she was kind of like Kyle. However, she was not getting high, but she was my nightmare. I was a single parent at the time. I had not remarried, but it got to the point where I, um, you know, you have to keep your own sanity. Mm-hmm. And instead of the fights, I remember she was a junior in high school. She was like, she would say she was doing her homework. She wasn't, her homework was like underneath the bed. So I ended up taking her door off the hinges. That was the first thing because she used to slam the door all the time. And I told her it was my house. It was not her house. So I took the door off the hinges. Then it got to the point where I literally was at my wit's end. I put her out. I was like, go. And I did. I literally put her out and she was gone a month. One of her girlfriend's aunts took her in and it was not a great situation for her, but she realized that she had it better at home than she had it someplace else. Um, And so now at 33, she still lives at home. She ended up, um, um, I have a grandson who has special needs and she is the best mother to him. And the, the other thing is, she is a phenomenal artist. And I will say this, as she's gotten older, and I realize, realize a couple of things. One is, there is a correlation between um, artistry and um, uh, mental illness. There, I, you can't tell me, there's got to be a correlation there. I don't know if anybody's ever done a study on it, but I know it's there. Um, the other thing is, too, we as parents, we always want the best for our kids but they have to make their own decision. We cannot be our kids. And so, you know, I have, in my family, I think mental illness kind of like runs in my family, so to speak. Um, My father's side, I had a cousin who, his father was the first black judge in New Jersey. And three of his, he had six kids, three of his boys end up being drug addicts Mm. in New Jersey. One of them, he made, he decided he wanted to be homeless. They just had to, they had to let him go. I don't care how much money you put into these kids, what you do for these kids, they have to make their own decision. And as hard as it is for us as parents, 
You got to let go. Like your husband said, you do. You got to let go. And look, Kyle got survivor skills. If he, if he got himself, if he, if he was on the other side of the country and he found himself coming home, if he found a way home, he's got survivor skills. And Kelly, as mothers, we're protective. But as hard as it may be, honey, you're going to have to let go and just, I put him out. Seriously, I've been there. Put his ass out and let him go. At some point, he will find his way home. And I know that might be hard to hear or whatever, but, honey, you've got to let go. you really got to let go. He's going to drive you crazy. And, you know, you and your husband, y'all have each other. And you still have, you know, Chris. Chris does not deserve, Chris does not deserve that. I'm not a therapist, but, I mean, that's, I'm just telling you from my own personal experience, let him go. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. I was shaking my head while you were saying that because um, just dealing with, with Kyle, some of the same stuff you'll say, I'm, I'm, I've done my homework. We just literally finished a week where we told him he needed to get something finished before this week ended or he would not be able to get out of the 11th grade, which is kind of not true. But um, under the COVID situation, I'm like, this is like the heavens have opened up to save you because all you had to do now is do these zoom calls and do your homework and you will pass and you'll end up looking like you have a three, five, three, six average, even though you've had the worst year that anybody could possibly imagine. And you will look like you have a three, five. He lied. He said he's done. He'd done his homework. He passed it in. The teacher's emailing us separately saying, I haven't heard from Colin weeks. And he said he was going to do this and he didn't do it. So that's one thing. You also mentioned taking the door off. I've taken the door off his, he's, he's actually seen a door on his room for the first time this week in this house. And I don't know, it's been months. He's, he hasn't had a door. I mean, I actually forgot the door was even there. I took it off and moved it. But, um, you know, yeah, taking the door off because we don't know what he's doing in there. He has a door, he's blocking it. And, um, you know, lying about his homework, not doing it even though we know the consequences. But yeah, so all of the things you said, I'm nodding because as I said, it's, it's one of the best things about this call is you hear people telling your story, like, like that's, she's telling my story. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Anyone else want to share? Yes. First, I want to thank you both for your transparency. Um, there are so many people who don't share these stories. And when we don't share them and someone else is going through it, you do feel like you are completely alone. Like this is, only you, and for the two of you all, at a minimum, you at least have each other. You know, I've been through kind of a similar situation with my daughter, and I am a divorced single parent, and, and the struggle is real, and it's very hard. Um, so, you know, my prayers for you and your son. You know, on a positive note, I have a cousin who is, um, she's probably in her late 50s now, and she started where you all say Kyle started, and she made it her. She had to, she had to hit rock bottom, which was really hard for her mother to let her do. Um, her father came to, um, came to grips with it much sooner than her mother did, which I think is kind of our, our kind of how we are both wired. Um, but I will tell you, she made it. She is now a registered nurse. She is doing extremely well. She works at a, a hospital in Atlanta. Um, she, now I will tell you, she did not make it out until she was probably in her late thirties, early forties, but she did. So, you know, there is hope. Um, it's hard though, because I have a daughter who's going through some, some similar things that you all are talking about. 
Um, I don't know what she's doing. My daughter is older, um, and, and she is now 26, but this started when she was in college. It probably started when she was in high school, and I didn't recognize it. And it's easy to say put them out. It's hard. It's really hard to do that. And kids now are also clever. The law just doesn't let you put them out, and they know that. I mean, you can do it, but they, they know that they can really stay. I mean, there's a process to putting kids out, and just the, everything that you all have described, I've been through with my daughter. And she's still here. She's still standing, but it, it has really impacted my other kids. And that's my question to you. Like, how do you deal with this? with your other son. My, my, my son, who is 19, who's, you know, doing the right thing. He's a pre-med student at Morehouse. She's, he's angry. Mm -hmm. He's angry because he's angry with her. He's angry with her for the way that she has behaved, for the way that he, he feels she treats me, but he's also angry with me because he feels from his perspective, almost that I've allowed it, you know, that I have not put her out and made her just go off on her own and do her own, but I never did that. Um, that I've always been there to pick her up and protect her. And, you know, I'm, I'm like you, Keith, I'm, I'm concrete. I'm logical, but I'm also like you, Kelly. I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a female. I'm emotional. And I don't have the luxury of having someone else to bounce this off of. I have dealt with this all by myself and I just don't know how to, it's my other kids that I'm worried about. My other two mm -hmm. kids who are younger and who have looked up to her, but now they don't. And just to see how they look at her, it, it, it breaks my heart. And, you know, I just don't know what to do for them. And so that's my question to you is how do you deal with, how do you deal with this with your babies? Yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. Everything you said is valid. I mean, I've actually, that's part of how I've, gotten to where I am is that as we look at our youngest and see how he looks at his brother who he basically used to idolize and it's just anger sometimes I'm you know as much as my oldest son is is you know being the worst example of of a human being that he could be sometimes he'll just wake up and come downstairs and you know try to hug his brother and he'll just punch him like go away and and I'm like Chris why are you like, why are you being like that? It doesn't help. So like to, to attack this with just being mean to him and, 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 uh, you know, angry is not the way to, to help the situation. It's a short version, but I mean, he's young and he has to process this, how he processes it, but you know, he's, he's got his own therapist, which he doesn't want to go to. He's like, why am I going? I'm the only normal one here. So, you know, it's dealing with that. It's dealing with him withdrawing a lot of times stuff will stuff will happen like you know we had a big blow up yesterday he had his headphones on acting like he can't hear you but he can i know he can i i i was i was that kid when i was younger when my parents would fight as i remember now i felt like i was probably 13 but i'm sure i was three um being in in my room and, and my mom and, and dad arguing and um in my room with my, you know, humming, with my hands in my ears, playing with my cars, to the point that all the way through probably elementary school, whenever I read, I had to cover my ears. So I was, I was that kid that had my glasses and had my ears covered. And people used to, you know, just think I was weird. Like, he's so weird. Like, look at him. But it's probably just my, my survival instinct and the way to really just lock into my own world and, and block out everything. 
you know, luckily I, I had lots of brothers and sisters to sort of bounce that off. He doesn't have that. Yeah. Uh, this is Sharon. Hey, Sharon. Um, hi, I wanted to respond to uh, the sibling interaction. First and foremost, I think that we all need to give ourselves grace. Uh, family um, is not what we uh, choose. It's what's given to us. And trust that we are all supposed to be in the families that we are. We also have extended families, those that we choose, and others that just situation would come together, just like this call. is a family of people who have a common interest, desire to help and support each other as we go through this. I have three sons, a 23-year-old who is bipolar. I've shared my story, and uh, Ezekiel and I have also called and spoken to the uh, Sunrise Project. And my other two sons, who are younger than he, I was vigilant on letting them know that this is an illness. This is not a situation where he's being stubborn or selfish and all the other character flaws. And as someone who has cancer or someone who has diabetes or others, there are times when the meds go haywire or the person is not being responsible in their due diligence of taking care of themselves. And so I asked my sons to give grace. I also let them have the time and the point where they need their space and they don't want to be bothered with it. And also to be angry about it and talk about it or ignore it and go about their own daily lives. But I totally always encourage them to know that that's their brother and he is ill. Um, full transparency, Ezekiel had a major episode, and he's currently hospitalized as of yesterday. And his brothers have needed space for a couple of hours. And other times they've been on, on it trying to make sure that he's getting the care that he needs. So I share with you all, as you all have uh, other children, let them know that there is some time that you're going to have to give 1,000% to that particular child, but that doesn't mean that you don't love them and that you're not hearing their pain. And then also create an opportunity with others to take that other child. So the sister who just spoke about her son at Morehouse, and encourage him to reach out to his brothers at Morehouse or a faculty member or another uncle or somebody who he can just release on. Because we can't do it all as parents, but we also have to allow others to be present. And at the end of the day, it's about grace. It's hard. We should always acknowledge all of our feelings, anger, disappointment, fear, worry, but allow them to also leave, and but let make sure that love stays present in all of the decisions you made. As far as releasing them in their journey, um, they know not what they do. They're young and they make poor choices. And so the net should be there, but sometimes the net might be very low and sometimes it might be very high. So I want us to be encouraged that we have to be there for them in this climate. Make no mistake. We have to be there for them. How we're there for them is we put the mask on ourselves first 
and then we are present to save them. Thank you, Sharon. Hi, I think um, I heard earlier someone say, I can't necessarily control what he or she does. And I think that's a really important thing to kind of recognize that we may not be able to control what our sons and daughters are doing or going through, which is really tough. But there's a point where you guys decided to start speaking out, whether it's the Sunrise Project or probably way before that, just reaching out to friends and family. Um, but there was also a certain time where you kind of kept it all within that the four walls of your house, right? So can you talk a little bit more about when you decided to start speaking out and then the benefits that you've had um, from doing so? Okay. Um, well, you know, one of the things that as a black family, you, you realize that black families in, in general tend to treat mental illness like it's, you know, you keep it in the darkness, it's secret. I, if you guys are like me, you have family members or friends that may have someone in their family that has sort of mental illness, they just don't talk about them. Um, like I know folks who have family members that have some sort of mental illness that you never even hear. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you had a sister. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, you know, she's, she's got some, you know, she's dealing with some stuff. And it's like you're embarrassed. So I always say if, if you had, you know, if you found out you had a cold, you get cold medicine. But it's not the same way that Black families in general approach mental illness. It's like it's some sort of shame or stigma. And until you break through that from a standpoint of how you approach it and how you think about it and getting through the shame and all of that of it, you won't ever be able to to have a situation like this where we're sharing and we're hearing people telling the same stories that we've told and understanding that, one, that you're not a failure as a parent. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had this conversation. My wife is feeling like, you know, we've had a blow up and she's like, I feel like I failed. I'm like This has nothing to do with you failing as a parent, nothing. It's, it's hard to not feel that way. And, and for me, like I said, my whole thing, I've, I've gone through it. I'm, I'm able to keep moving, but I've definitely said, the one thing I said I would do is not fail at this. You know, make sure that my, my kids, I got it right. I'm always there, we've been to everything, supported, loved, you know. I was like, I, I don't drink in my house, I don't smoke in my house, none of that, you know. And then 16 years later, I'm like, wait, you're doing what? I've been, I didn't even curse in front of my kids for the first probably 15 years. But now I find myself just talking to them like they're just, you know, people now. I'm like, you know what? This is bullshit. So. Yeah. And for me, I would say I um, shared that the first time a couple of years ago was not intending to share openly. And you're right, Danielle, you know, Linda has known about all of this since the kids were really little because we started with therapy when they were smaller. Um, but I was speaking at a conference, the I Am Woman conference. Sylvia High was a guest on this and she's a dear friend. And I got up ready to speak about this topic of abundance and was feeling really uncomfortable because at the time I was not feeling like we had any abundance because things were just starting to unravel in a very bad way. And as I got ready to speak, I'm standing on the stage and my computer died, literally died, went black. And uh, I was fumbling around trying to figure out what was happening and I realized it had died. And in that moment, I decided to share what was really going on. And that was probably 
two years ago, two and a half years ago. And at that moment, I felt this huge freedom of release of just saying like, this is what's happening. Um, and that was the year Jay-Z came out with 444 and there was a song on there where he talks about, you don't heal till you reveal. And one of the lyrics, one of the lines of one of his songs, I loved every, every song on that album. And so at the time it was just all, uh, I think it was God saying, we're not gonna talk about what you think you're gonna talk about today, you're gonna talk about this. And that began this journey of, um, you know, of communication and, and trying to heal. Someone sent a question for you, Keith. Uh, the question was, can, you, can we speak about how we take care of ourselves? and our relationship. Okay. Um, so that's, that's a very key thing. So um, as, as you mentioned, if you're on an airplane, they say if, if, uh, if there's some difficulty and the mask come down, put your mask on first before you put on your, your child's or anybody else who needs assistance. And that's important because you're, you as a parent, the first thing you want to do is jump to fixing them. But the problem is you can't do that if you're you know, if you're totally uh, a basket case, you know? And um, so it's important to one, be able to step away and, and know that, um, and know that it's more important for you. I mean, you're more able to help if you were taking care of yourself, either mentally, um, physically sometimes, if it's working out, if it's going for a walk, if it's talking to somebody. Um, we had, like I guess I mentioned, we just recently had a, a, a humongous blow up and I was trying to, you know, in my, in my logical brain, trying to relay that, you know, you can't argue and control and um, hawk mental illness away. Like you can't just say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to chase you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to try to block the door when you're running out and that's not going to fix it. So I'm telling, trying to tell Kelly, like, you got to stop yelling. You got to just let him go and, and understand that this is his life. And she just can't as mama bear. So she was having a big, big breakdown, but it ends up being, you know, her feeling like I was making her wrong. I was like, I'm not making you wrong. I'm just saying, this is not going to help. And you have to just stop and let him go. And this is extremely, and she said what I know she feels, which is I can't, I just can't do it. So it's hard. It's hard, but you've got to take care of yourself. You know, her breath, blood pressure's up, she's, you know, all of these things, but you got to figure out ways to have some time to yourself. If, if it's meditation, if it's working out, if it's, you know, you know, delving into a project, but also just understanding that, you know, you have to, you have to live and you have to survive this as well as they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, I just wanted to first of all say you both are just amazing and with your love and patience and all that you've given and sacrificed to you know continue to love on your son I just think is absolutely incredible um I heard Sharon mention that her son is being hospital is in the hospital right now and as someone whose family member initially when they were diagnosed was hospitalized and has been in and out of the hospital forever but who's had a successful life um, went to nursing school, raised kids, et cetera, et cetera. I do know, I do know that, you know, you can make it through and he can, it's the hope is not gone, but what is your perspective in this 
difficult time on law enforcement and just being susceptible to those kinds of things. It's, it's scary because we have a six foot one black man in America who's running out of the house in the middle of the night with hoodies and so forth and so it's terrifying or you know it's, or stealing a car to go out and run the streets with no license. So it's terrifying and especially in the current state of affairs. So it's, as much as it's easy to say, let him go, but as you're letting him go, you're realizing that, hey, you're letting him go into a very dangerous situation, a very dangerous world that they're in right now. It's prayer. And so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of prayer. And, and, you know, again, knowing that at the end of the day, he's going to do it anyway. I'd rather if, if he's out in the street, he's not out and obviously unregulated because he left the house in a, you know, in a huff, screaming, running or chasing, and he's elevated emotional state. I would rather at least be calm. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers, but that's that's sort of it. It did. Thank you. Um, if we have one last comment, because we're over time, I just I also want to be cognizant if anyone else wants to say anything. Any other comments or last thoughts? Or I'll close the session. No. Okay. Well, let me close with a prayer. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Father, for allowing my husband Keith to share his story of fatherhood with us this morning. Thank you for allowing him to be so transparent on how to allow us as parents to let our children make their own choices and walk their own walk, even though it may not be the walk we had imagined for them. Amen to that. Father, we know, can you finish? Father, we know that our children are a product of their choices. Father, give us strength, give us patience, give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us encouragement in those moments of self-doubt. Help us adjust our mindset to see our children and their beautiful minds in a way that we can still have radical love and acceptance. Most importantly, help us to overcome so that we may be of service to others. We thank you for this time together and thank you in advance for your help today and in the week ahead. We also ask that you continue to cover and protect us and protect all of our families as we work to break the stigma of mental illness and love them unconditionally. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a beautiful day. We'll see you next week. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.